Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. And I'm Paige Miller. The Grain Talk podcast can be found on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and under the Grain Talk tab at gfo.ca. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. In this episode of Grain Talk, we focus on the Great Lakes Yield Enhancement Network, a new project supported by Grain Farmers of Ontario that is a major collaboration between researchers here and in Michigan. And I will have a conversation with Crosby Devitt, CEO of Grain Farmers of Ontario. We also put a spotlight on farmer wellness with Sarah Plater-Finley, Grain Farmers of Ontario's HR consultant. First, a Grain Talk news update. Grain Farmers of Ontario is working to support our farmer members and the livestock community being affected by drought in Northern Ontario. We have participated in several discussions with other commodity organizations, Minister Lisa Thompson and other representatives from the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs and Agricor to ensure support is available through the Risk Management Program and Production Insurance, as well as urge the government to provide emergency assistance. That assistance has been announced for the region. Agricor has extended enrollment deadlines for the risk management program for all farmers in Ontario. Grains and oilseed producers have until August 16th to provide enrollment information or changes. Applications are now being accepted for the 2022 American Soybean Association Corteva AgriScience Young Leader Program. The Young Leader Program provides training for couples or individuals who are passionate about the possibilities and future of agriculture. Phase one of the program will take place at Corteva Global Business Centre in Johnson, Iowa, November 30th to December 3rd, 2021. The second half of the program will be held in conjunction with the Commodity Classic in New Orleans, Louisiana from March 8th to 12th, 2022. ASA has 26 state affiliates, including Grain Farmers of Ontario. One actively farming couple from Ontario is selected to attend the program each year. Participants in the program engage in leadership training, that helps them with their farm business and other organization they serve, gain tools to better enable them to tell their own farming story, and connect with soybean farmers from across the U.S. For more information, contact Mel Rieke, Manager of Member Relations for Grain Farmers of Ontario at mreeke at gfo.ca. Or, to apply, go to doygrowers.com. The deadline for applications is September 1st. Participation in the program is subject to the lifting of the COVID-19 restrictions on cross-border travel. Grain Farmers of Ontario is pleased to support the 2021 Ontario Virtual Crop Diagnostic Days. This series follows the success of last year's online videos and continues the long tradition of annual field events held at Ridgetown, Alora, and Winchester, just in a different format. A new field crop agronomy topic will be presented every two weeks until October 26th. Grain Farmers of Ontario's support of this program means farmer members have free access to all of this content. Registration and payment is only required if applying for CEU credits if you're a certified crop advisor. If you missed the first two segments, all episodes are available at realagriculture.com slash Ontario Diagnostic Days or at fieldcropnews.com. You can also access videos through Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube or download the podcast for listening offline. And now here's my conversation with the Great Lakes Yield Enhancement Network. Joining us today on the podcast, we have Joanna Fallings, Omafra Extension Specialist, Matt Beischleck, a delegate from District 6, Haldeman Brandt Hamilton Niagara, who is a part of the Great Lakes Yield Enhancement Network pilot project, and Marty Vermeer, Senior Agronomist from Grain Farmers of Ontario. 
Thanks again to all three of you for joining us today on the podcast. I appreciate the time you guys took out of your days to kind of sit down and go over what the Great Lakes Yield Enhancement Network is about and what it means to all three of you. Hey, Paige, great to be with you today. I'm glad we have this opportunity to uh, talk about the Yen. It's a great initiative uh, that Grain Farmers Ontario with multi-stakeholders have uh, worked to do a pilot project this past year. And we're really excited as we launch into the uh, the full program this, uh, this coming year. Yeah, it's great to have you. So I guess we'll start from there. Um, so Marty, what exactly is your role in the Great Lakes Yen Project? Yeah, as a senior agronomist with Grain Farmers Ontario, um, my role in the Yen is to kind of help coordinate and kind of put all the pieces together. It's very important as far as on the farmer's side to make sure that we have, you know, data quality and confidentiality uh, with all of our members. So any of the farmers that are participating, you know, can be reassured that the data is going to be, you know, housed privately uh, and Grain Farmers of Ontario will be, be holding on to that. So moving onward, Joanna, what exactly is your role with the Great Lakes Yen Project? Yeah, so my role uh, is in partnership with the others uh, leading this project is, you know, the coordination of the project, getting it up and running, um, but also doing all the, the boots on the ground work. So working with the growers directly on sample collection, data collection, harvest, and data analysis, as well as, uh, you know, helping with writing up the reports and uh, getting more growers involved for next year and, uh, yeah, keeping everyone engaged. Right on. So, Matt, as a, a, a member of the pilot program for the Great Lakes Yen Project, um, how has everything been going for you and, and what is your kind of role in this process? Yeah, Paige, um, start off. Yeah, thanks for having me this morning and the invite. Uh, my role is uh, basically as a farmer, I'm going to build uh, two plots with within our wheat fields uh, with uh, about an acre and a half each and we're just going to compare a couple things between the two plots and against uh, the plots across Ontario and Michigan. So uh, I guess this is for Joanna and Marty. So why did Ontario and Michigan decide to pilot to co- together or decide to, to join forces together for the Great Lakes Yen? Yeah, Paige, the, the real nice the real nice thing about the Yen is uh, that it really is a collection of the experts getting together and working together collaboratively. Um, and the farmers as well, the farmers working collaboratively. But the partners that we have with the Grain Farmers, with Grain Farmers of Ontario and OMAFRA is also the University of Guelph. Uh, we have two research scientists that are helping us. Uh, we've got the Michigan State University with Dennis Pennington, who's the extension specialist in Michigan. We also have the wheat, uh, Michigan Wheat Program. Uh, that's highly engaged and involved in this program, as as well as the Certified Crop Advisors. So it's kind of a a unique collection of all the agronomic uh, specialists in the field and really focused on on wheat for this coming year and working with farmers as a collaboration. So exactly what is the YAN project? I know you mentioned it's it's started in the UK. So what is it to those who might not know about the YAN project? Yeah, that's a great question. So two years ago, we had Roger Sylvester Bradley and Ruth Wade come to the Ontario or actually to the Southwest Ag Conference from the United Kingdom. And they're from an organization called ADAS. And they actually started the Yen over in Europe in the United Kingdom. And so they came over, did a talk at the Southwest Ag Conference, and it really piqued our interest here in Ontario to see if we could replicate you know, something similar or partner with ADAS to do something similar. And uh, because we have such a good working relationship with the Great Lakes states, including Michigan through the Great Lakes Wheat Workers Program, uh, they had a lot of interest or Michigan had an interest in also, um, you know, working on the yen. And so we decided as together that we would launch a pilot program 
in Ontario and Michigan uh, because we have such similar growing conditions. We have very similar challenges. We think we have, you know, some very similar opportunities. And so we decided to join forces and get growers involved across the two states and see what we can learn um, by having, you know, more people involved, more geography, more soil types. It's a network that brings together farmers, researchers, egg organizations like the Green Farmers of Ontario or Michigan wheat growers, extension specialists, uh, agronomists, everyone across uh, the board working in wheat production. Uh, it brings them together to so that we can learn together uh, and help improve, you know, both the sustainability and profitability of wheat in the rotation. And we do that by trying to help growers better understand the actual, their yield potential on farm. So by looking at various data points and, and including weather, yields, uh, nutrient uptake, all those sorts of things, and getting a sense of what the true potential is on farm, and then taking a look at what their actual yields are, and then trying to help them close the gap between their actual yields and their potential yields. Um, but I think the big thing is that it, it is a network and it's an opportunity for growers and everyone involved to learn from one another um, versus trying to work you know, separately in our own, our own silos. So I guess, Marty, from a steering team perspective, why would you encourage farmers to get involved? I think it's a really great opportunity to farmers to dig a little bit deeper into the wheat fields and really understand what's going on. Um, it's a great opportunity to learn all your growth stages and understand what's happening at those times, but also getting those precise measurements done. So a lot of the trial work that we're doing is uh, sample collection. So there's a soil sample that's involved. There's two leaf tissue tests and also the grain samples, and they're all being analyzed. So we know exactly what we're working with. So with the soil, of course, we know all the nutrients that are in the soil as a beginning point. And then we need to make sure that we know how that uptake of the nutrients are occurring. And that's why we have plant samples that are being analyzed as well during the growth season. And that's at stages 31 and 39. So what stages is that? That's when the wheat just starts to elongate and also um, at flag leaf. So those are the critical times to take your leaf sample analysis. And so we take all that data, combine that with what the output is, which is the grain and have a analytical analysis done on that. So we know what minerals are actually taken out of the soil. We also take all the agronomic information of what the inputs were, what the farmer put into the field. So, you know, what was the seeding rate? What was the populations? What is all the agronomic components? And those are all kind of put together, analyzed, summarized. We also take weather data. Uh, we have a global source of weather data that we can take solar radiation, rainfall. And with the soil samples, we're also taking what's the water holding capacity of the soil. Take all those factors together. And uh, Josh Nazowski from the University of Guelph has built a, a crop model for us in collaboration with ADAS with their modeling. And we've developed a model that works here for Ontario, for the Great Lakes region. And we can really kind of do some comparisons to say, what is the potential? So it's a great opportunity for farmers to understand what is the yield potential of your farm? Because Every potential in every field is different. Whether you have sandy soil, clay, or loam, everybody knows the yield potential is different. So we'll actually be able to measure that. And then the actual yield that comes out of the field will be, will be measured against that. So you'll, be, you'll have a, a percent yield potential at the end of the day. So it's sure it's all about yields and bushels, but in order to put everybody on equal footing, everybody's kind of compared by what is your percent yield 
that you actually achieved at the end of the day. So it's going to be real interesting with the pilot that we're just going to be finishing up this year to understand how that works here and, and tweak it a bit and make sure that we, we got all the groundwork underneath of us when we launch fully this summer and we get into the 2022 season when we have 50 uh, farmers that will be participating in the upcoming year. And then after that, we hope a lot more farmers will be intrigued. But I think really what farmers are going to get out of it is going to be a real detailed analysis. They're going to be benchmarked against all their peers and they're really going to have a better understanding of how that wheat yield was formed in their field. And then they can make some changes in the upcoming years to increase their potential yield on their farm. Because maybe it was a nutrient deficiency. Maybe it was a population. Maybe the heads weren't quite as big. And other management techniques that have occurred, and that's one of the things ADAS had found out with their study since uh, 2012, was that a large component of their percent yield is a lot of it is management. And a lot of times it's a luck, right? Did you make the right management decision that year? Because every environment's different. So I don't want to criticize anybody for their management, but everybody knows that sometimes you may time things differently or weather and something happens. And a lot of times it's out of our control, but those are considered management practices. Um, you know, if disease comes in, somebody who did put a, a fungicide on, somebody who didn't, what are the differences? So we can benchmark a lot of different uh, measurements in the study. And it's going to be a great opportunity to learn a lot more because we've got the network of, of experts and the farmers are experts too. And they're going to all learn from each other. It's going to be a great opportunity. So Matt, as a farmer participating in the pilot program, have you kind of noticed any, that you've been learning from other people and, and why would you encourage other farmers to kind of get involved in this first year and, and, and get the word out about the end project? Marty hit a lot of, uh, topics there, the, a lot of good points there. The education part of it, yeah, like uh, this is the first year we've ever done tissue testing on wheat and uh, why we didn't do it before, I don't know. I never, guess we never thought about it or we never took the initiative to do it, but it was, it's been really neat uh, watching the as the tissue test came in, I think we had two of them done, and just to see what the wheat was doing. Uh, it was cold and wet uh, up at the beginning and uh, we were seeing boron deficiencies. It wasn't just us, it was everybody across the whole board. I, Joy and I, I don't know if you want to touch on that one there too. Those are some of the interesting things we see. Yeah, like we saw boron came up across as deficient in every field site, but we don't really even have, you know, a good handle on what is uh, a sufficient level of boron. So, you know, some of this information that we collect and some of these trends that we see across these sites, we can use that to our advantage to help us inform, you know, some of these shortcomings in our wheat management. So you're right. Yeah, boron is just one of those examples. Yeah. And once we knew there was a boron deficiency and everybody else had it, did, was there any uh, like was there any use of us going out there and applying a liter of boron to the acre? Uh, I don't I don't know if that was if that's uh, that was the case or not. Yeah, and that's and those are the questions that we had come up in this, and because boron in particular has been so sporadic in terms of seeing any response, you know, we don't really have good response to boron in wheat in Ontario. So, um, for the most part people saw that that was a deficient level. And so now the questions will be, okay, why is that? And do we need to be applying? Because as far as I know, nobody applied boron this year based on those levels, but they're showing that they're low. And so those are some of the things that we're gonna dive into and is why are those low? Are our critical levels, you know, in terms of a tissue test, are those in fact too low? Do we need to be adding boron? Is there value in that? And so, yeah, I mean, these are some of the learnings that we ourselves are gonna have out of this project not just, you know, the farmers learning about, you know, some of the 
areas that you know they see as being an opportunity to improve on but we as the research team are finding man there's some interesting trends there's some things that we don't know and how can we use this information from this project um, to build on that and work to finding answers to some of those questions that's a neat thing about the yen is that there's going to be opportunities come up that you can't even plan out as a researcher and people are going to do different things in the field so if it's a cool wet year and boron's deficient maybe there is somebody who did put some boron on just by chance, right? Not that we had put a research project together to do that, or maybe we ask a couple of people to do it. And then we can all learn as that study group to understand, okay, we put boron on, but you know what, in the end, it really did make that much difference or, oh, wow, it did make a huge difference. So those are kind of the things we can probably glean. I think there's going to be so much data that we can glean out of this as agronomists and as uh, uh, researchers that it's, it's going to be very interesting for everybody. And then the key thing is sharing it with everybody as well. Yeah, that's the big thing is sharing this and getting it out. There's actually been a few a few growers have already asked, you know, when can we get together and when can we talk about this stuff? Because everybody's just hungry for information and getting a sense of, you know, what did others learn or what did they see? What did they try? And so at the end of this, the growers are each going to get their own individual report and see, you know, how they did compared to the others in the competition. But then we'll also do a, a general report where it just kind of highlights, you know, these are some of the trends we saw, these are some of the shortcomings, those sorts of things. And like Marty said, you know, when you're planning a program or a project like this, you, as much as you can in advance, try to plan for everything. But as we've gone through, there's definitely been things that we've, you know, had to adapt and evolve and, and make changes. And um, that's just part of the growing pains of, of new programs or projects like this, but it's all, it's definitely all really good stuff. And I think a lot of the growers are very, very excited to get together and, and talk to each other and learn from each other. So have you seen any kind of one-off um, like similar to the boron uh, over the past couple, like throughout the pilot program, has there any been anything else that has kind of stood out to you saying like, Oh, that's something we didn't expect. Some of the other things, like we saw magnesium, low low levels of magnesium, manganese, boron. Um, we've had some sites that particularly on sandy soils that had some sulfur deficiencies. Um, those are some of the trends. I was also saying just a little bit earlier here, um, we've also noticed like areas, for example, that didn't get rainfall, you know, there was a yield impact there. Um, so we're still diving into it, but uh, yeah, those are some of the initial things we're seeing. I guess the other thing is, um, you know, the the other thing that I've noticed is just like the enthusiasm amongst the growers has been phenomenal. Everyone is just so enthusiastic about the project, very engaged, really want to learn, and everybody pushed their management this year. Wheat going into the winter was in excellent condition. Coming out of winter, it was in excellent condition. So there was definitely a lot of enthusiasm and a big push from participants to, you know, to push their yields and see what they can do. And Matt, I mean, you can speak for yourself, but I know there's a couple of growers who've tried things this year they haven't tried before just to see what, you know, what kind of response they might get. Um, so it's it's been really neat from that from that standpoint, too, in terms of people trying new things and pushing themselves to beyond what they maybe have in the past. So it sounds like there's a lot of interpreting data. So what other sort of work goes on behind the scenes for the Great Lakes, Yen? There, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that probably a lot of people don't see or realize. But even with communications and communicating the Great Lake Yen uh, to the public is, is a fairly big job. And Grain Farmers Ontario have been 
uh, very good at getting communications group and appreciate Paige, people like yourself and, and others working to communicate the message out there. It's going to be a lot more once we get data, of course, but just getting the awareness out there has been big. Also sponsorship. Sponsorship is going to be a key thing moving forward with this project. Right now, we're relying on some seed money to make sure this starts. And Grain Farmers Ontario and Omafra has been very gracious to help get this kickstarted. But as it grows and we get so many applicants coming in, we're going to have so many um, analytics being done that we really need to have that sponsorship. So you will see on our website, uh, which is greatlakesyen.com, um, our sponsor list will be up there. Um, but And that's just going to be a continuation. We have some people already starting to show interest, and we're going to finalize that here this summer. But we've got some great sponsors coming on board, and I greatly appreciate all the sponsorship opportunities that are out there that people are interested in. And it just shows the support that everybody thinks is a great, great thing. Um, but there's also a lot of work. A lot of people don't realize that the steering team meets every week, and there's just you know little things that happen. And it's great for us as a steering team to get together and to understand what little glitches are out there and that we can improve the project for next year and as we launch. So a lot of improvements are occurring ongoing uh, almost every week and um, working with, you know, the researchers, they have Dr. Dave Hooker and uh, Dr. Josh Nzowski and making sure that, you know, projects, uh, data flow and everything's kind of working correctly. Uh, we still got to do our analytics once all the yield comes in, but there's also all the other data coming from the grain samples. So right now, Joanna's collected all the grab samples in the field, and, you know, and next year farmers will be sending those grab samples in. It's straw, it's grain, it's all being analyzed, that data is being collected, but also with the, the grain, I mean, the grain has to be analyzed for shape and size of kernel and counting the number of kernels per head and how, how many full heads are there. There's so many different intricate little measurements that the, the farmers will need to do a lot in the field, but there's also so much being done in the lab and, and all the analysis, uh, and we appreciate the uh, the support from the labs that are helping us out too, and we have a lot of data going through the labs and getting that. So it's just kind of coordination, and there's a lot of things and a lot of, a lot of people in the background that probably don't get the recognition they should, and we really appreciate all the supports that we have. Yeah, so you'll get to see all of the, like, so you, every GAR will get a report, and it'll include things. Um, so we'll take we'll take apart your your soil sample in full detail, for example. So we'll look at PK levels, boron levels, all those sorts of things. And then we'll benchmark you as a grower against the other growers. Uh, and then we'll do the same thing for the tissue. So we'll see the, all the nutrient levels for each of the tissues compared to the rest of the group, along with the grain sample, all the nutrients, the quality analysis on the grain as well as the grab sample, like we look at things like ear size, uh, the amount of, of straw, excuse me, straw biomass compared to, you know, actual grain, all those sorts of things. So yeah, you will get to see all of those things that we collected, soil, tissue, grab and grain samples. And we'll, we'll have those, you know, uh, broken down in detail for you to be able to, you know, see, um, how you did, but also see how the rest of the group did and how things compared. And, you know, we'll be able to see certain trends and, and that sort of thing. We know, for example, manganese was, and mag, or yeah, manganese was an issue this year. So we'll be able to look, you know, was it certain uh, soil types? Uh, how many growers had to make applications to remediate the issue? Those sorts of things. So I think there's going to be, a, there's going to be more to learn from this than I think we even know what to do with. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, Joanna. Yeah, like this year, uh, we uh, took our, we had time this year, uh, weather was excellent. We took our 15 inch row planter and planted a 20 acre plot with it with liquid fertilizer and just moved over. So we were on the seven inch rows almost 
and uh, yeah, put that in there, and it was kind of neat to watch the singulation of the planter versus the air drill there this year. That's really cool. Yeah, so I mean, it's really neat stuff like that to try, and we'll be able to dive into that and see, okay, like, did this work? <laughs> what benefits did you see? Um, so those are some of the cool things that come out of that. Joanna, with wheat harvest kind of wrapping up, how many more samples are you driving around to go get at this point? We're doing a harvest this afternoon, and then we've got two more harvests left. And then, so hopefully by either end of this week or early next week, we'll be fully wrapped up with all of our harvests, all of our grain sample collection, our grab sample collection. And so within a week or so, we will be jumping right into data analysis. And as Marty mentioned there, Dr. Josh Nelson from the University of Guelph has been a huge part of that, uh, developing a model that we can, you know, determine yield potential in Ontario. Uh, and, and he's helping it, uh, along with Dave Hooker in uh, analyzing this data. But hopefully we'll get started on our analysis, our full detailed analysis in a week. But uh, we're just getting harvest wrapped up here and I can't express my gratitude and appreciation for every single farmer that has been involved in this project this year. Uh, without all of them, this this project would have never gotten off the ground and we wouldn't have been able to run this pilot and, and get the information that we have. So um, I know it's not easy to always do these sorts of plots, but I really think there's so much value in this. And so I just really cannot thank each and every one of the producers enough for, for their willingness to participate in this and the patience as we went through this for the first time. <laughs> uh, it sounds like there's a lot going on and a lot of moving pieces behind the scenes, as well as with working with all of the producers that are participating in this pilot program. Yeah, for sure. So Matt, what are you looking forward to at the end of this project? So I, I'm, I'm, what I'm really looking forward to is uh, just like you say, the collaboration of uh, all this information uh, once we get it and being able to sit down and talk with these farmers and saying like, uh, maybe there's a guy in Essex County that's got the same type of uh, ground that we do and the same type of fertility levels and he got another 20 bushel uh, to the acre more than me. I'd be it'd be great to sit down and talk to them and say like, well, what'd you do? Would you use boron? Did you add manganese? Did you do a foliar? Did you, what was your starter fertility program, dry liquid, uh, seeding rates, all that stuff. It's just going to be really neat to get together and talk about all that and uh, see what they did to get to where they are. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to that network meeting at the end because we're also going to be inviting the agronomists that are working with the farmers. So a lot of farmers work with, you know, certified crop advisors or, or uh, some type of agronomic specialist that they deal with. And they'll be invited to come because they're helping to support at the farm level as well. And uh, it'll be great to hear from them and collaborating together and what they're finding out from their, their fields and sharing that. Marty, you just mentioned that there will be like an end of the year type of thing. But has there been any sort of conversations between the producers uh, that are participating in the pilot program right now? Um about what they're seeing in their fields versus what others are seeing in their fields? I guess, Matt, that question more towards you. So I, I know uh, two other people that are involved in the end project and uh, I've kind of reached out through Twitter and texting and just kind of said, Hey, how's everything going and what's everything looking like? And you know, it's more, the conversation usually revolves around too much rain, too little rain, too hot, too dry. But then other than that, um, no, we haven't really got down to like, I guess they call it the brass tacks of uh, how the project's looking. But uh, like, again, I say like the, the end of the year meeting here is going to be really interesting 
testing and to be able to take notes and uh, maybe tweak your operation a little bit more. So have you noticed a difference yet compared to other previous years on what you've taken off for the Yen project? So I, I think our, like our average yield this year is pretty well on par with the other years we've had with kind of similar conditions. Like we've had last year was dry. We weren't anywhere near where we are this year. Um, but two years ago, um, our wheat yields were pretty well bang on with what we had this year. Uh, it, it all came down to our planting date was the same two years ago as it was this year, that early September to mid September and rainfall was about the same. I don't keep real accurate track of rainfall, but it, like I, you know, in ballparking it every year in the springtime. And, uh, yeah, I'd say our yields are pretty well the same. Um, but yeah, I am, uh, interested to see if anybody else is adding anything else to their program. Um, as in fertility or foliar or like sulfur uh we're we've gotten away from sulfur we don't use sulfur anymore we tried a little bit again this year we're heavy chicken manure users so we haven't really seen a benefit to that maybe there's another chicken producer out there that does use sulfur maybe he's seeing a benefit i don't know well but uh, that's something to discuss later on so I just want to say thank you to all three of you for participating in our podcast and joining me today to kind of talk about the Great Lakes Yen Project. And for our listeners out there, if you are interested in applying or looking for more information or you're thinking you might want to sponsor, go to greatlakesyen.com for all of those details and that will direct you to the right place to go. So thanks again, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Great to be on. Thanks. Thanks, Paige. Joining me this week on the Green Talk podcast, we have Crosby Devitt, the CEO of Green Farmers of Ontario, with a little bit of an update on what's been happening with agriculture and our industry. Thanks so much for joining us, Crosby. Hi, Rachel. It's great to be with you again. Now, it's been a couple of weeks since you've been on the podcast. I know you were on vacation for our last episode. Um, so how did that go? Did you enjoy your time off? Yeah, it was great. I uh, got a few days off and actually was able to harvest some of my wheat as well. So that's always, uh, always nice when it lines up well <laughs> to be able to get to get some farming done while on vacation. Typical, I think, CEO of an agriculture organization where you've got the farming on the side that you've got to work in on your vacations. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> now, talking about wheat harvest, there's been some quality issues reported down in the Southwest, mostly as a result of sprouting, I understand. What have you heard about that situation with the quality of wheat this year? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a bit of a challenging year overall with kind of frequent rains across large parts of the province. And so it's been a really long drawn out wheat harvest. You know, it started actually quite early. The crop matured fairly early, uh, but uh, in some places harvest is still rolling on here. So it's been over a month of, of wheat harvest, uh, which is quite a long time. Um, so really what we're hearing is that there's some areas of the province where, especially where there was those frequent rains and kind of damp conditions that persisted, uh, the wheat has started sprouting in the field or before harvest. And uh, that can cause uh, some challenges with milling quality, especially for certain products. And uh, what happens is the, uh, the test is called a falling number test, but, but it's basically affected by sprouting uh, in the wheat and affects how it uh, how it performs in the in the milling and baking side of things. And so 
what's that? What that's created is some marketing challenges. You could imagine uh, a lot of the wheat that farmers grow in the province here is destined for flour milling, um, as well as the feed market. But it's really that flour milling market that uh, is affected by it. So. Uh, yeah, it's created some challenges in some areas, um, and uh, certainly when you when you have a quality challenge, it uh, it affects the farmer that has the has the problem most, of course, as you know. So one of the things that we're doing is actually encouraging farmers to get a quality test done themselves, maybe before they get to the stage of taking their delivery to the elevator or their endpoint. Um, what kind of recommendations are we saying for testing? Yeah, I think, you know, more than ever, even if you've got an issue, uh, the more you know about your crop, the better <laughs> to be able to find the right market and talk to buyers. Um, so there is testing and grading services available to farmers. Uh, you know, SGS, for example, has a, a testing uh, program available that uh, is part of a partnership with GFO. Um, we've communicated that with farmers, but there's other options too uh, through the Canada Grain Commission and some other private labs as well. So, um, you know, I guess some advice is know what you have to sell uh, before you ship it um, is important. And I know a lot of farmers are working with their buyers on contracts to, to figure out the best way to go. Uh, you know, the ideal situation is that the buyer and the seller are working together to find the best market and, and timing of getting that into market as well. Um, but it's never always that smooth, uh, especially when you've got uh, different quality specs. So I think the other piece of advice is to really understand your contracts, uh, know what your obligations are to deliver uh, what you agree to when you, when you took on those contracts. Um, and I guess the other thing that we've been doing is communicating with, um, you know, the Ontario Agribusiness Association, the elevators about, um, you know, how do we make sure that farmers and the elevator business are working together um, you know and that's everything from making sure good testing happens uh, transparency on grading transparency on pricing discounts has been a, a bit of a challenge in some areas uh, certainly not everywhere but we've heard that um, and so the best situation is that the buyer and the seller know the terms that they're agreeing to and uh, you've got a smooth transaction you can work you know, ideally work it out together um, that everybody's able to get what they need out of it. You mentioned the rain being the impact on the quality of the wheat crop. We're also now concerned as well about the potential for the formation of dawn affecting the corn crop. And that has to do with the warmer temperatures right at, you know, the, the key growth stages for that corn crop. So, you know, summer weather, you know, I guess we can't be happy either way. This <laughs> well, I think, you know, anybody that's been involved with agriculture knows the weather isn't the same every year and there's always a challenge and there's always opportunities. I mean, Coming with decent rains at, at key growth areas makes uh, makes for a, a potential for a good crop, um, but there's also potential for diseases to form. And uh, there has been some concern that the weather uh, through, you know, the key pollination period for corn is conducive to dawn uh, and fusarium production. Um, it remains to be seen because it's not a done deal, but uh, because of those alerts uh, kind of flashing and we've learned a lot. Uh, in the last three years since uh, since the 2018 outbreak um, on how to how to manage some aspects and part of that is fungicides and so I know there's been a lot of farmers looking at their far at their corn crop and putting a fungicide on whether in an at, at risk situation 
There's been some progress made on hybrids, but also looking at going into market. How do we market that corn and how do we have uh, a situation where we minimize the shocks in the marketplace and find a, find a home for, for all, uh, all corn that's grown in this province? I know we're doing some proactive work at Grain Farmers of Ontario to make sure that uh, we have the best information available for our farmer members this year uh, when it comes to that fall corn harvest. And one of those things is that uh, Dawn survey that gets conducted by Albert Tenuta and his team at the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs that um, Grain Farmers of Ontario actually supports. So, um, you know, I guess we can wait and see what happens in September. Yeah, it's certainly too early to tell. But uh, yeah, that happens towards the end of September when the crop's maturing. Um, and gives a pretty good indication. And uh, again, the idea and the goal is that we can uh, find markets for every every bit of cord in this province um, and at the best price possible for both the buyer and the seller and everybody's happy. So, you know, ideally we avoid it. Um, Reality is we're probably going to see some somewhere um, and we want to help be as proactive as possible where those buyers can find markets for it too so they can line things up ahead of time as much as possible. Another major concern as a result of the weather this year um, is happening up in northern Ontario uh, and the drought conditions there. I know the livestock industry in particular has been affected, but so have our grain farmer members that uh, are in that northern region as well. Um, Can you tell us what we've been doing in terms of government relations work to help deal with that situation up there? Well, certainly uh, northwestern Ontario has been hit hard by drought, you know, the opposite of too much rain um, in some parts of the province. Um, And yes, severe feed shortages on the livestock side, Um, you know, grain production, as you can imagine, is is likely to be significantly impacted. Um, There's been a lot of meetings and discussions with, you know, OMAFRA, provincial government, our our new minister, uh, Minister Lisa Thompson, um, our partners in the beef farmers and livestock groups to try to pull together, you know, what, what can be done. So certainly there's the crop insurance program um, that farmers are part of that will, you know, cover the grain side of things if they're enrolled and uh, have coverage. Um, but there was emergency assistance announced just last week uh, by Minister Thompson uh, and deliver, I think it's rolling out here this week Um targeting you know livestock producers that are short on feed and so it's good to see those things you know in a crisis situation sometimes the programs that we already have don't exist and something else is needed so it's nice to see the response of this there and that we can uh, we can support our partners at uh, the beef farmers livestock groups and and the general farm organizations as well so um, hopefully uh, hopefully they can come come out of it uh, in an okay situation and now one of the um, results, I guess, of those conversations um, is that our MPA deadline has been extended. So renewals are out now. Mm-hmm. Um, deadline is now August 16th for those who um, are looking for that RMP coverage. Um, I'm curious, Minister Thompson's been, only been in the position maybe over a month now. I'm trying to remember exactly when she was uh, appointed to the position. Um, you know, how has that been going so far? It seems like she's kind of been thrown into the fire with all these issues that have come up. Well, I think it's it's been busy. I won't speak for her, but certainly we've uh, kept her busy on a few things. Uh, you know, one of them is the risk management program. And, uh, you know, anyone that's involved in the program will know it's it's later than normal coming out. Uh, I know the renewals came from AgriCorps here in the last couple of weeks, and there's an extended deadline. Um, but there's been a lot of work over the last number of months, you know, with Minister Thompson, but Minister Hardiman previous to that, and the whole OMAFRA and AgriCorps team, we want to see that program work really well for farmers and uh, 
as you may remember, there was an additional 50 million pledged to that program last year, but a year ago, and that remains in the program and that's a yearly contribution. Um, but also we were pleased to see the premiums remain the same for 21 as they were in 2020. So that's a real positive thing uh, given what's happening um, out in the countryside. And uh, it's important to have those premiums, uh, you know, be, be quite reflective of, of what's reasonable for farmers. So, um, yeah, the programs out there, uh, I guess it's something we've, we've put a word out on, you know, to help uh, strengthen that, that uh, farmers should take a, take a close look at that program as that's uh, probably one of the better ones we have. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Crosby. We appreciate the update and your perspective on everything that's been happening this summer. Thanks, Rachel. Great speaking with you. Green Farmers of Ontario is committed to farmer wellness. This week, we put a spotlight on helping others who may be struggling with their mental health. Sarah Plater-Finley, Green Farmers of Ontario's Human Resources Consultant, shares some recommendations from mental health professionals. Someone who's struggling with a mental health issue may exhibit some changes in their regular patterns of behavior. You may notice that their eating and sleeping patterns change, their ability to cope with stress decreases, their mood changes, and you might also notice some changes in their appearance. They may not be taking care of themselves as well as they once did. If you see someone you think who might be exhibiting some of these signs and, and struggling with a mental health issue, a good place to start is to reach out to them and just let them know that you've noticed these specific changes and ask them if, if everything is okay. When you do this, you want to be prepared to listen openly and not provide advice or solutions, but just hear what they have to say and let them know that you're there to listen. You may not understand what it is that they're going through, so let them know that, that you don't necessarily know what they're going through, but you're willing to be there to support them, to help and find the resources that they may need. You also want to ask them from there, you know, where do they want to go from there? What, what are the first steps that they want to take to finding this help? And let them know that you'll help them find those resources. And also set up a follow-up plan. Say to them, you know, when can I come back to you uh, and, and see where you are with this and, and offer the support that you may need. If you're not comfortable in reaching out to somebody that you see is struggling, maybe you're not that close to them, go to somebody who is closer to them. Maybe it's a manager at work, maybe it's a family member, and ask them if they've been seeing the same signs and see if they can reach out and help that person. For more information on helping others or for support for your own mental health, please go to the Canadian Mental Health Association at cmha.ca or the Center for Addiction and Mental Health at camh.ca. You can also read more about helping others in the August edition of the Ontario Green Farmer magazine. Look for the Warning Signs article. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Marty Vermey, Joanna Fallings, Matt Beischleg, Crosby Devitt, and Sarah Plater-Finley. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.